0: Welcome to episode number 56 for the National Land Realty podcast where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. Hunting season is almost here and we're here to talk about hunting land. Owners of hunting land, newly acquired or family heirloom acreage work to improve hunting land year round. Food plots have been planted, clearings created, cover, scanned, and trail cams have been hung in strategic areas. It's an exciting time of the year for all of you, but it can be an anxiety-inducing time for the other folks out there that have been too busy to get out and make land improvements to their hunting land. We have tips today for all of you. Today, we're talking with Jay Castles. Jay Castle served for eight years as a Green Beret in the United States Army Special Forces, holds a bachelor's degree in management information systems, a master's in telecommunications, is the president for the Eastern Oklahoma branch of the National Deer Association, is a land certification inspector, a certified deer steward one and two, owner of the first legacy property in Oklahoma, and holds an accredited land consultant designation from the Realtors Land Institute. Needless to say, Jay Castles is somebody you want to listen to if you have any kind of questions on whitetail deer hunting properties. Now sit back and enjoy. I am sitting with Jay Castles. Uh, Jay, you're licensed in uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas, and I'm going to give a little bit of a a background and I'll I'll let you expand on this, but um, you served as a Green Beret for eight years. Uh, you're a, you're an accredited uh, land consultant. You're an ALC. Uh, you're also president of uh, the National Deer Association in Oklahoma, as well as being a certified inspector with them. Um, you you're a you're a very credentialed land professional, Jay. Can you tell me how you got into this and and sort of what brought you uh, into into land real estate?
1: It really happened by chance, Mac. About ten years ago. I had always had the dream of owning my own piece of land. Uh, At that time, I lived in Texas, and uh, I wanted to go north of the river (coughs) and purchase land up here in Oklahoma, because at that particular time, word hadn't got out just what an extraordinary place this was as far as whitetails were concerned. Uh, I was a member of a hunting forum there in Texas, and when I bought my property, I wanted to start a chronology basically, uh, on on all my improvements, uh, how I was managing the property, uh, you know, trail cam pictures in one location, so it was easily accessible. And really starting that thread uh, for my own personal use kind of transformed into uh, a business, if it would. So people reaching out and asking me to find properties for them that met specific criteria. Uh, That evolved into finding the property and then doing habitat consulting on the property and then helping them transform it into their own particular vision, you know, uh, basically buying their blank canvas and then you know basically painting their masterpiece so this all started for me really as as, as a personal love that that actually transformed into a uh, uh a wonderful career
0: yeah so you you originally were in pursuit of just your own hunting land how does that carry over into buying and selling land
1: or helping people buy and sell land Many times when it comes to real estate agents, uh, they don't own land. They don't own, many of them don't even own their own home. So I thought that it was an important aspect, and we use the slogan here in Oklahoma that we live the life we sell. I personally conduct 1031s. I have done 1031s. I have been involved in many different types of transactions personally long before I ever got uh, to aid my clients in doing the same. So really by having that background and having that experience, uh, you know, sets us apart here uh, from the rest of the competition.
0: So... Did you acquire land before you started working in real estate or were you already
1: in real estate when you acquired the land? No, I did not have my real estate license. Uh, when I bought my first piece of property, I did not get my real estate license until probably six years after that, when the demand got to the point where I needed to get it in order to, to help these, uh, help all of these dreamers, as I call them, like I was, <laughs> uh, pursue their own dream and, and buy in their own place.
0: So in looking at, at your sort of background, it seems there's a heavy emphasis on education. You you hold a bachelor's degree, you have a master's degree in telecommunications, you've gone on to pursue the accredited land consultants. You know, each kind of step is a matter of you educating yourself and and this goes on to being a certified deer steward, you know one and two, and a certified land inspector. You kind of just keep on adding tools to the tool belt, don't you?
1: I do, And I think that it's extremely important because I believe that in society today we live in a credentialed society, uh, and a lot of different bios when you when you read on different agencies, agents from different from different brokers. You know, you'll you'll hear the term lifetime hunter, uh, been in the cattle business for 10 years, uh, lifelong land steward, you know, and those are just really nothing more than kind of catchphrases, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're any good at it. And I felt that in order to have some type of base level trust with the client is to get credentialed by an unbiased third party would, would help in establishing that relationship uh, rather than me having to prove myself in other ways. Uh, Now, now along with the credential, you definitely still have to talk the talk, but they definitely want to know that if they're going to, purchase that dream property that they've always been looking for and they want to make sure they get it done right the first time and they don't want to have any regrets about it. So I believe that, that having those types of credentials and having that type of experience definitely aids, not only me as an agent and helping my client, but also gives my client a peace of mind knowing that they picked the right person.
0: Yeah, I, I I like to say that in in especially in this industry that you know the 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 old school methods of getting to know someone and building rapport still hold true. Where you know a referral is more valuable than gold. You know, as far as if someone trusts you, they'll refer you. But having those credentials is sort of like a referral. You know that there's a designated system that you had to go through to learn to get those credentials to have the knowledge that you've acquired, right? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And it's one of those things like I said, it's it's a credential from an unbiased third party uh that gives you credence for what you claim to say
0: you know. So, I was going to say too, it also kind of shows that you've got some hustle
1: in you. <laughs> without question, without question, it, it you know having the time and the and the the uh the ambition or the uh, discipline in order to better yourself uh, I think that that makes a difference uh, to many clients I found that it has over the years and uh, i I have not found one instance when either the process or the knowledge gained from trying to obtain that credential or the credential itself has handicapped me in any way. Uh, it has only been a positive positive, uh, in all of my experiences.
0: So conversationally, I know that we want to steer this towards, you know, we're getting, we're on the, on the front side of deer season for this year. Um, but before we jump into that, I wanted to ask you could, because, because we're having this conversation about, you know, the, the credentials that you've acquired and earned, um, throughout your career. I, w- I wanted to ask you, is, is there any one sort of credential that you view as more powerful
1: or more useful to you in this position than others? Specifically when it comes to being a land agent, I believe the, the national symbol, uh, if you were to have one accreditation, or one, one, you know, banner, if you will, would be the accredited land consultant designation from the Realtors Land Institute. Uh, What I have done with my whitetail stuff has given me the expertise and the focus to be the go-to guy for definitely recreational and hunting properties. Uh, the ALC gives you the broad-based training in multiple facets of real estate, whether it be land development, timberland investment, agricultural land to understand the grasses and carrying capacity of different places, uh, soil types, uh, rec property. So, I mean, the accredited land consultant designation would definitely be my my thumbs up as far as all of the things that I've I've pursued because it's definitely a broad-based catch-all for anybody who is wanting to be a professional in today's land market. Gotcha. That's
0: useful information for one for for current agents that that don't have that or have not acquired that, and for people that that are looking for specific knowledge bases to work with. It's it, it's good it's good value there to talk about that. Um, so I wanted to ask you. You are currently president of the is it the Eastern Chapter of Oklahoma um, for the National Deer Association. I, I wanted you to tell me a little bit about the association, what they do, what you do with them, and sort of what their role
1: is uh, from a broader a broader perspective. The National Deer Association, as it says in its title, is a national uh organization, much like Ducks Unlimited is to ducks or Wild Turkey Federation is to turkeys, this is the organization geared towards whitetails. Uh, I'm currently the sitting president for the eastern Oklahoma branch uh, of the National Deer Association here in Oklahoma. I am the only land certifications inspector here in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, I hold the Deer Steward 1 and 2 designations currently with the National Deer Association, and I was the owner and curator of the first legacy designated property uh, here in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, National Deer Association is all about outreach, education, and getting young hunters, new hunters into the field. Uh, They have enormous amounts of information online, uh, on their website, whether it be for habitat, uh, anatomy, whatever it has to do with, and, you know, with regard to whitetail deer, they've got it. They've got these wonderful online teaching modules. They have in-person teaching modules. Uh, they get politically active when it comes to, uh, management of the resource on a national level and even on a state level. Uh, not too long ago, I was uh, had a reporter from Oklahoma City reach out to me with regards to a deer testing positive in the northwest portion of the state with regards to chronic wasting disease. So I got in contact with uh, several of the head conservation people there, and we formulated a response in order to... Uh, uh, answer her question so it's all about the resource it's all about getting new people into the field and it's all about expanding opportunities uh, for new and existing hunters and i I want to sort of dive
0: into each one of these areas that that you are working with um and just kind of elaborate on those and what those roles do so a a certified deer steward one and two what what Do you, uh, what sort of, what do those mean from, from, for an outside audience perspective on what, how you work with those?
1: Uh, deer steward one is really just a good overall, uh, baseline course for understanding whitetail deer behavior, anatomy, uh, conservation, habitat improvement, Uh, they've gone through great lengths over the last few years initially when that started, when the National Deer Association was the Quality Deer Management Association, it was an in-person module that you had to travel to, uh, to attend. And then they eventually got it where it was an online module that you could take online. But really what it is, is just a great introductory course, uh, especially for those that have no experience with being in the woods or, or hunting whitetails, uh, to give them a great basic foundation of general knowledge uh, about the animal that they hope to pursue. Gotcha
0: and then the the land certification inspector what what is the what is the task and role of a National deer Association land certification inspector?
1: A land certification inspector for the National Deer Association, they have three different classifications of property and really what this is about is helping the current landowner become a better habitat uh, curator and just a better conservationist. Uh, Pledged lands is the basic uh, certification and really all it is is the ability for someone to pledge to do certain things to begin the process uh, uh, for them to work their way up. Uh, You know, really... Much like the deer steward one can the basics of uh, you know understanding whitetails and whitetail habitat, you know, understanding game laws, coming up with safety precautions for for people you know that they come and hunt on your property, uh, you know all those different kinds of things. Uh, let me see. I don't want to miss anything. So what I'm doing right now is I'm going to try and bring this thing up. (laughs) Uh, You know, know, after uh, pledge lands, you have certified lands. And then after certified lands, you're going to have legacy lands. And then what's going to happen with the certified and the legacy designations is that you have to have a game management plan. You need a land certification inspector to come out and go through the checklist for each category of leg, land designation. And the land certification inspector will, you know, basically is your, is your instructor that will either pass or fail the property. Uh, but they're there to help you make your property better if you came up short. Uh, you know, I'm always willing to come back uh, to see that some of the habitat improvement, uh, projects have been adopted and pursued if that was one of the things that was holding them back from getting to the designation. So really you're just, you're just going to help private landowners, uh, make their property better. And the land designations is just a way to recognize those private landowners.
0: Gotcha. And, and you mentioned here on the, at the beginning of this, that the property that you own, what do you say it was the first property that in Oklahoma that was given legacy status?
1: It was, it was. And I, I, I recently sold that property. Uh, um, uh, and I owned it for a period of about six years. Uh, there wasn't a land certification inspector in Oklahoma at that time. and uh, there's a really well-known member of the NDA in Kansas who was uh, very kind to lend me his time and come down here, uh, even though it, it wasn't his state, in order to, to, you know, certify my property. So after that happened and there was a little bit more demand uh, for that or interest in people obtaining that, uh, n d a realizing that they did not have a certification inspector here uh, you know it just kind of as things went, just put me in position to would you like to do that since you understand that what needs to happen? and I said, I'd be more than happy to do that, and I really enjoy helping people make their properties better and uh, especially for the for the conservation of the of the whitetail
0: yeah and in speaking of conservation and and you know land management um we are kind of we're sitting right here at the at the gate right you know we've got hunting season coming up nation nationwide hunting seasons tend to start around august 30th um there's you know certain draws that'll get you in there you know quicker and and there's a lot of variation on that nationally but but we're we're sort of in that in that realm Uh, So I wanted to to ask you some uh, some questions related around that. And uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you was here at the you know, looking at the season, it's coming. It's coming at us. uh, I I probably am not stretching the imagination to say that there's probably a few landowners that have not been as attentive to their land as, as they could have been throughout the year because everyone gets busy. And so there's probably some people scrambling right now, like, oh, man, what can I do? Uh, what are some of the things that people can do
1: at the, at, you know, at the 11th hour that matter? You know, at this stage in the game, it's really where, you know, school's out, so to speak. Uh, you have been preparing since the close of last year season up until now. Uh, one of the very few things that you can still do, uh, you could actively do a camera survey if you've yet to do that. Typically, I will do that in the first two weeks of August. The camera survey is gonna give you a real good idea as to buck to doe ratio, farm recruitment rate, uh, how many different uh, unique bucks are on your property and how many does that you have and uh, that is always a great thing to do in terms of just overall management from year to year so that you can monitor your herd. Uh, secondly, in August, many times I like to do a late summer burn on some of those harder to get rid of uh, Cool-season grasses or, or different types of vegetation, like uh, Ceresia lespidiza which is invasive here in Oklahoma. I find that that in late August, uh, typically it's very dry. The the, the plant, plants are stressed, and with that, uh, a late summer burn will definitely push that push that plant and that vegetation that you're not wanting over the edge to. to to inspire a little bit of new growth going into the fall. I was going to say with that kind of condition and given the
0: stress, you can definitely get rid of the things that you want to get rid of, right? I mean, you're always going to battle weeds and and invasives, but putting that extra stress on them is definitely going to help.
1: There's no question about it, you know, and if fire is something that you don't feel really comfortable with, uh, uh, the same thing applies from chemical. Uh, you know, as far as, uh, the method of hack and squirt, uh, those trees are stressed, uh, undesirable species that you may want to get rid of and you may not want to, you know, cut down or hinge cut, uh, to create litter on the, on the forest floor. You can definitely hack and squirt in order for that tree to die and then, uh, fall apart over time, uh, from above. So, Hack and squirt and fire are definitely two things that I will incorporate at this stage in the game just due to the fact that, you know, most of the things are stressed at this point due to the lack of water. Uh, But these two things, the fire is more of an immediate, uh, a more immediate effect. And then the hack and squirt is more of a long term or a longer term habitat management uh, because you really won't see the effect of that until spring when everything starts to bloom again.
0: And you were talking here at the, on the beginning and, uh, the things that you, you started kind of discussing, it was one of those, like you and I got to talking before, before we started recording here and you started dropping some really great knowledge, uh, on, um, my question to you was, are, are there, are there things that you see on a consistent basis with the clients that you work with? that would be valuable for other people to learn. And and you were talking specifically about kind of the preconceived notions on what they want for land. And I was hoping you could kind of go into that a little more because I found that extremely valuable.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, too many times with clients, they're eager, they have been waiting for this opportunity to purchase their own place their entire lives. Uh, But they they have a fundamental lack of understanding as far as what type of habitat they need to to do what they want to do. And every time, it's all about whitetails. And most of the time, they want a 100% timbered property. And typically, I start by asking questions of, you know, why? And then, you know, typically it's due to the mass production of the acorns or the timber provides cover or, or a whole host of other reasons that really aren't based on any type of science or, or fact. Uh, you know, I go on to explain to them if you have a 150 pound deer that is 2000 pounds of food per year, a mature buck, 2,500 pounds of food per year, and you have a closed canopy forest rec property that produces 500 pounds of food per acre, how many deer do you think that place can hold? And then we go on to, well, if this place had scattered fields, uh, open areas, uh, transition areas because whitetails are creatures of the edge. They like different habitat transition zones. Uh, with, with the proper old field management, you can produce, you know, 2000 to 2,500 pounds of food per acre. And along with that food production comes the the added benefit of fawning cover, which allows you to, uh, to aid your, your future generations, uh, from becoming you know victim of uh predators uh by giving them the the place they need in order to hide, so you 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 do a twofold thing as far as adding fawning cover and then you add an abundance of food uh during the time that whitetail bucks need it most because their antler development obviously is during you know the spring and up until you know late August, early September. Uh, the 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 mass production from the the hardwood trees in the winter uh, does nothing in you know to enhance their headgear whatsoever. It's an important food source. and you're going to attract some whitetails depending on your acorn production, uh, but it's not going to aid them as far as developing uh, the set antlers that they're going to have for that season. So uh, one of the biggest things that i that I deal with is that common misconception of what a property owner thinks he wants versus what reality says. Uh, and, you know, once we can agree on the fact that, yes, I want this property to be everything about whitetail, then we can start making progress as far as moving away from that 100% timber property. Now, I don't advocate that you know if you do buy a hundred percent timbered property, there's lots of habitat work you can do in order to make it what you need to make it by making, you know, small openings of three to five acres, uh, you know, and and then keeping that that growth of these open areas in check, either by mechanical means, uh chemical means, or by fire. And these are all three tools that you're gonna keep in your toolbox in order to keep those old fields at different stages of growth. Uh, Typically I'll have a property divided up in one to five or one to four management areas. And then I will just focus on one and then two and then three every single year. And then when you reach the end, just start back at one. And it keeps all of those different old field transitional areas uh, in different stages of growth uh, that allowed them to to continue doing what they were designed to do in the beginning, which was to produce food, increase food production, and uh, to aid in your farm recruitment. So you spoke to a few different
0: analytics that you use to sort of measure uh, the effectiveness of a property. and um, one of them, one of those, was fawn recruitment rate. Can you explain that a little bit and sort of what that entails?
1: Uh, the fawn recruitment rate is able to be derived uh, on the National Deer Association website. They have a worksheet uh, in order for you to put numbers into that will give you, you know, your buck to doe ratio, your on recruitment rate uh, and and different other factors that you you need to keep up with as a landowner from an annual basis uh, so that you can monitor your herd. And this is done by, I start on August August the 1st and go through August the 14th. It is a 14 day trail camera survey. And it's somewhat painstaking because you need to go through all of the different pictures that you get during this time period. And uh, once you have all that data, you plug it into the worksheet that's provided on the website, which is going to give you the numbers that you currently have. And it just allows you to monitor where you're at. Did your final recruitment rate drop? You know, did your your population increase? Did it decrease, you know? And it allows you to ask those questions as to why, you know? so, you know, basically if you want, if you're happy with the population where you're at, you'll want to keep, uh, your harvest rate on does at about 20%. If you want to decrease your herd, increase it or increase, you know, obviously you're going to decrease it from 10, uh, 20%. Uh, so it, it, it's a tool for landowners, uh, in order to more effectively manage what herd that they have. And, uh, you know, helps them achieve their goals, uh, by doing so.
0: So in terms of modifying land, you know, kind of if I'm reading between the lines and I don't think I really have to read between the lines very much. Like if you're, if you're in August and you're looking at what you need to do to improve your land, there's probably not much you can do. Um, but as far as setting up a game management plan, you you hear it time and time again that, you know, first and foremost, one of the most important things is what your neighbors are doing. And then you start looking at things like food and how you manage food. And I kind of wanted to ask you how, how you set about managing food and sort of how you diversify the, the forage that you have on your property to sort of encourage, you know, more and more deer.
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, neighbors are something that everybody ends up having to deal with at one point or another. Uh, You have to accept the fact that you're not going to be able to control neighbors uh, in all circumstances. What I've found is that by making my property more conducive uh, for whitetails uh, gives me an upper hand because I know that they don't go the extra mile as far as habitat's concerned. Uh, And I find that most of the deer uh, that would otherwise maybe frequent their property uh, spend more of their time on mine. And it's just really a law of averages. If you're gonna spend more time on my place, uh, I'm gonna have a whole lot better chance at you than my neighbor is. Uh, As far as the food's concerned here in Oklahoma, it's very popular uh, for people to plant wheat. In. I don't have anything against wheat at all. Uh, but here in Oklahoma, you know, it's wheat's a nitrogen hog. And many times it'll start turning yellow because it's depleted the ground of nitrogen. So it's going require, to require some type of mineral replacement, uh, sort of fertilizer-wise, in order to keep that dirt right. But I use what everybody else plants as an advantage to me because instead of planting wheat, I plant oats. Now, you know, is wheat better for deer than oats? From a nutritional standpoint, it's slightly better. But a deer is going to gravitate toward oats over wheat because of the sugar content. You know, it's really no different than us. I can place a bowl of kale in front of you, or I can give you... uh, you know, some oatmeal with sugar on top, right next to it, and I think I know which one you're gonna eat. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's really not, it's really not that complicated. So by planting oats instead of wheat, when all of my surrounding landowners plant wheat, I hold a vast majority of the deer. And when I'm able to provide them with the cover, the food, and everything else that they need, there's really no reason for them to have to leave. Uh, so by maintaining these old fields, uh, at their early successional stage so that they can produce all of the forbs and, and broadleaf plants and things like that, that the, that the deer really love, uh, planting things like a variety of clovers, which are heavy reseeders that will continue to come back, uh, for as much as, you know, three to five years, depending on, on where you're at, uh, ensuring that your habitat plan is always revolving around food when they need it. And typically the food when they need it is from green up to September and then supplemental food plots during the winter. And then using mechanical, chemical and fire to keep this production when you want it to happen.
0: Is there any one thing that you sort of key on key in on with land? And I, and it's, it's such a loaded question. Cause I think the answer for everybody in terms of, of land management is like, it's all the things it's, it's how you manage every little facet of it. But in terms of, and, and we're talking specifically for, you know, with hunting season approaching, right. We're talking about hunting land. Um, Are there, are there any things that you're always like, okay, that's the one biggie
1: that that you always kind of look at? It's really an, you know, an overarching thing when it comes to a habitat plan or a, or a game management plan. It's, it's really all things combined. Uh, the problem that I see more times than not is it can get overwhelming. You know, you need to come to terms with the fact that you're not going to get it all done. That's why I like to break it down into chunks uh, and, and management units and just focus on one management unit per season. But if it came down to one factor, it's really maintaining your old fields. Your open areas and keeping them at that early successional stage for the forb and food production and fawning cover. To me, I believe that, that 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 is worth its weight in gold. Uh, I've seen it work uh, for many, many, many years, and it is, it is the one factor that's going to that's bring your property to that next level. Uh, I have also used, uh, in my former property, I established roughly a 100-acre sanctuary within the center of that property, uh, which I never, ever, ever entered. I would go in there in the early spring, uh, and then what I would do is just go shed hunting, and I found an enormous amount of sheds compared to the two years previously when I did not treat it as a sanctuary and the traffic and the amount of deer that bedded within that area increased dramatically. Uh, during that time, I also did some timber stand improvement, uh, whether it be hack and squirt or some, some hinge cutting uh, within that sanctuary, but, but having a place that you don't go, that you don't drive into uh, they're very susceptible to pressure, so I don't. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of of having an established sanctuary, and 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 staying on top of your old field management uh, for that food production when it's absolutely critical for both nursing does and uh, antler development for bucks. Is uh, that's where I really like to keep my focus.
0: So you focus on you know and as people should, the the year round sort of management of land. is there any is there
1: any type of season that you view as the most valuable? The most valuable to me is from the time deer season starts until about April, that first quarter of the year, roughly. Uh, I will conduct uh, Whatever management unit on my place at that time is up in the queue, I will conduct a, a a burn. Uh, I will do heavy disking on some of the, uh, the old fields. Uh, with all of the leaves off the trees, it really gives you a different perspective than looking at a property when, when, you know, it's in full, full grow mode, you know, after everything blooms. Uh, I love seeing things in that, that winter state um, because I'm able to get a better idea of what I'm dealing with. And I'm also able to really make notes for this coming fall. Uh, many times, if you wait for sand placement or trying to set up different sets and you, and you try to do that during July and August, <clears throat> you know, it's going to look uh, considerably different. Uh, whenever it's game time in November and we've already had our first freeze and there's no leaves on the tree. You know, it looked great during July, but now, you know, that sand placement has you drastically exposed and it didn't take you five minutes sitting up there after the sun broke to realize that. So uh, definitely the first quarter of the year, right after right after deer season, uh, I just uh, – you put everything down and then put your work boots on and get ready to start uh, uh, getting your work put in for the following year. So
0: in working with landowners, you've been doing this for a while. What's the most consistent problem that you run into that, that people have with their land that, you know, from, from a buyer perspective on maybe it's the reason they're getting rid of the land. And from a buyer perspective, or sorry, from a seller perspective, maybe that's why they're getting rid of the land from a buyer perspective. um, When they get into it, you hear back from them a few months later and they're having a hard time. What's kind of the most consistent uh, sort of
1: issue that you see? Uh, From, from a seller perspective, you're looking at really two demographics that are completely different. Most of them that are selling are going to be somewhat elderly Uh, deer is not something that really, you know, is a major part of their lives. Uh, they, they see them, they're used to them. They may shoot one a year. Uh, you know, killing big deer does not really resonate with them like it would the middle-aged hunter who's going to buy it. Uh, and really for the elderly landowner that's selling they're just transitioning to a different stage in life and then the individual who's buying it is your 30s or 40s something guy looking for his his uh his own personal place to hunt and typically the challenges that they find is that they have a very demanding life as we all do, you know, married, kids, job, whatever it may be. And they will reach out to me saying, I just do not have the time to get all of this done. And that's why I prefaced that uh, a few minutes ago saying it can become overwhelming. And if you break it down into management units, and you just try to put it in bite-sized pieces, it's not as overwhelming, and you need to be comfortable with the fact that you're not gonna get it all done. But focus on the bigger parts. If you have to let one of them go, you're gonna have to prioritize which one to take care of and which one to let go. And really, it's just what's gonna be the more benefit uh, when it comes to selecting which one to let go. So, uh, You know, it's like I said, the sellers are looking to to transition in life and then the buyers are are at that stage in life where uh, it's very demanding and their time is limited. And uh, that's usually the frustration they run into. So being able to put it into a plan uh, that they can manage uh, is definitely helpful
0: for them. Gonna say that's something that i'm always saying to my marketing team here at national land is is if when you go about trying to be good at all of the things you're probably not doing any any of those things very well is is that's really exactly everything. right. <laughs> um that's exactly right <laughs> yeah uh you mentioned too you know with a lot of the land that gets sold um you know you're you're talking about landowners are sort of like you know outage the land it's harder to keep up um you're not hunting as much you're not using it as much you're not able to do some of the work. and you know as you as you get in there and doing that lands are really emotional topic people get very very tied to it is that a challenge when you're working with people as, as they're looking to let like go and what's sort of like, the, it, are, are there any concerns like, as you're working your way through it, are they concerned about the stewards that take over next? Are they concerned about, you know, what's some of the biggest concerns they have? Cause, cause
1: it, it is letting go of a significant part of your life. It is, it is definitely uh, something that needs to be addressed more often than not. Uh, typically, you know, as we were discussing, uh, the sellers, or, or regardless of the age demographic, they've owned this property, you know, whether it be five, ten years, or a lifetime, you know they've they've poured their their blood, sweat, and tears into this thing along with their treasure. And uh, you know, maybe their kids shot their first deer here, or maybe they were born in the old farmhouse up on the hill. So there is a lot of emotional attachment. Uh, I always like to start by telling them, you know, the advantage I have is I'm able to look at this c- clearly through an objective lens. Okay, I have no emotion here. The numbers that I'm explaining to you are the numbers that are driven by the market currently right now. You know, and uh, you, you try to be as compassionate as you can. You understand that there's certain uh, certain levels of attachment. Uh, and there's also different buyers and sellers. I mean, a lot of people view it as you know it's it doesn't belong to me anyway. I'm just a steward of it for a short time. You know, they take that approach. Uh, but but one of the biggest things is when they have that emotional attachment, typically you end up fighting well, you're not fighting, but you have this you have this give and take, you know, kind of struggle over what they think the property's worth. Because typically the higher the emotional attachment, the more they think it's worth. You know, uh, you know I've got a waterfall on this property, okay. And uh, my daddy taught me how to fish there, okay. And while it is a unique terrain feature, and while it does set the property apart, uh, the memories made at the waterfall, you know, I always like to say memories don't appraise, okay? So I understand your attachment to that, but, you know, when it comes down to this thing getting under contract and for us moving forward to closing so that you can transition to the next part of your life, uh, we need to understand that that's not adding any value, you know? How long you've owned it or you know whatever memories you have here and you know typically it's a very tough discussion especially for the elderly clients and that's why i say you just need to be as compassionate as you can be and just try and remove as much of that emotion as you can because typically it just it clouds the whole the whole process That's a
0: really kind of, I love that quote that you just said, that the memories don't appraise. It's, you know, the, the memory is sort of like, that's the, that's the fruit of the land, right? The land did its job, but the the appraisal is a different
1: thing. That's exactly right. Because you have an unbiased individual that's going to come in and look at the property and while they're going to put a value on your 20 acre pond or lake, or, you know, you have this clear water stream and that's going to have its value and You know but none of these things that we're discussing right now are going to have any bearing on what value that the property currently has okay and that's always very difficult uh, to explain in a uh, an empathetic sort of way uh, because i understand where they're coming from and maybe they grew up there and have never been anywhere else but in the end, you know, this is what properties you're selling for here. And the advantage you have by working with me is that I'm, be, I'm able to provide you with that unbiased, objective, non-emotional, you know, viewpoint so that you can make a decision and we can come up with a plan in order to get you uh, down the road. Got you.
0: And I, I do, I, <laughs> I want to, I want to know to anybody listening, I I've, I've got you held up here, like after work hours and stuff. And I had you want in a truck earlier, we've been trying to pull this together. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I got two questions here to leave you with. Um, one is right now, you know, we're, we're talking in 2023. So, um, and you know, in case somebody listens to this later and, you know, market has been, challenging in terms of, you know, interest rate rises and stuff like that. And, you know, I wanted to ask you what you see as the biggest challenges right now and the biggest opportunities in your sort of local land market.
1: Uh, you know, as you just stated, Mac, uh, some of the biggest challenges that we're, we're, we're facing right now is for uh, the, the lower budget type places uh, with regards to interest rates. Uh, Cause they have, quite simply over the last 18 months, effectively doubled uh, for anyone trying to purchase land. Uh, so we're, we're definitely struggling with that. Uh, the way it currently sits, uh, m- land is still moving. There's still a lot of cash and there's still a lot of people with uh, 1031 transactions that they're looking to find a home for. And uh, so we're doing that. Uh, to the best of our ability, uh, what we're starting to see is that with the current state of inflation, it's really starting to to squeeze uh, people that were kind of on that border of, of of living comfortably or barely making it, and now they're having to spend a lot more of their 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 income. On the basic necessities, so I've run into several instances where uh, an individual may not want to sell, but they find themselves in a position where they have to sell. Uh, many, many people over the last five or six years bought properties on a five year adjustable rate mortgage, and we are we are coming to the point where they are going to have to refinance and when they locked in a rate at four and a quarter, and now their new rate's gonna be eight, seven, uh, it went from, I could afford the property to now I can't afford the property. So we have a lot of people that are looking to sell their property uh, just due to the fact of the loan product they they procured when they ended up purchasing. So. You know, it's always really important. It's always, you know, very easy to, to lose sight of things when you get excited and you're looking to buy a property. Uh, you know, you may not, you know, put as much emphasis on the loan product or put as much emphasis on this. Uh, you know, uh, you may have not done your due diligence as far as, uh, picking an agent that's well versed to keep you out of these bear traps and uh, it's very easy to get into one of these situations, and for those people that did find themselves in that boat, uh, they're they're trying to find a way out. So uh, currently, that's what we're facing here and seeing on a daily basis. Uh, It's not a bad time to buy. Uh, Our inventory is low, uh, and it's keeping the prices high, Uh, but it almost seems like that everybody who wanted to to sell over the last five to seven years has already sold uh, during that time in the market. And the people that are going to start coming into the market are those that may not voluntarily want to sell, but they need to sell either due to the fact of the loan product they chose or uh, you know their personal financial situation. So I think we'll probably end up seeing a lot more options as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say auctions becomes a really good point for
1: that because they, they, they can move things. Right. We know for a fact that, you know, if we list a property, no one can tell you with absolute certainty of any kind when I'm going to sell your property. You know, what we tell you is I'm going to get it in front of as many eyes as I possibly can, which is going to be the key to finding your buyer. But when you go to the auction round, we have a specific date and time where we know this is going to sell. You know, there's no ambiguity with
0: that. Last question: uh, What do you enjoy most about this field? And, I, and I'm going to keep it into the pre- professional level because if I ask anybody that question, it's going to be like, "I like going out and getting outdoors." Um, but which could also be the answer to your professional question. But I did want to ask you what you know, and sp- specifically towards land real estate what is your favorite part
1: about it there's so many parts that i absolutely love about this business i mean you know helping a client buy their first place helping them manage it you know being outside is just an added plus to to you know be able to be a steward and a cultivator of such you know, it's it's a privilege to be able to own American land. You know, a lot of people think that owning a home is the American dream, and and we like to say here, uh, you know, the American dream is land ownership. I mean, that's that's where the American dream lies, and uh, you know, being able to help somebody convert, uh, you know, having a four hundred one k they can play on versus a four hundred one k that they look at a statement quarterly. Uh, when you, when they're able, when they cross that hump and they, they get over that fear and they take the plunge and you help them find that property, uh, there isn't one client that I haven't helped over the years that I stay in contact with, or that can call me anytime with questions about anything. And I'll be able to provide some type of solution or guide them to the person that can. And just really deriving the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, helping people achieve our idea of the American dream—that's what this business is all about. And land, uh, you know, is cl- you know—just completely fulfilling for me on on every front. Not only that, I love the outdoors and that I love stewardship and conservation and and uh, you know whitetail deer and 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 all the many things that come with it. It's uh, it's the people, it's the relationships, and it's the ability to help people who are in that time of need and doing them a job uh, and a good job, uh, to help them in whatever situation they might find themselves. Jay,
0: I've, uh, I've appreciated this conversation, man. It was very, very good talking to you. Um, and like I said, I don't want to keep you here all day. I know that you, uh, you've been running around like a crazy person for the last couple of days. So, uh, I really appreciate your time and your knowledge. Thank you very, very much. Oh, absolutely, Mac. Thank you for your time, and I appreciate the
1: opportunity.
0: This concludes episode number 56 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing hunting land with National Land Realty Land Professional, Jay Castles. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationallands.com.